Earlier this week, I was asked to visit the religious ed class here at the chapel, at the uh, Colby Hall, uh, where a group from St. Cecilia's School was having their retreat. I think it was the seventh graders. So I had no specific agenda. I was really interested in what they were doing that day, what they were talking about. So I sat with them. There were about 50 or so. Yes. And um, I said, what are you talking about? And do you have any questions for me? And it's interesting how we as young people have a lot more in our heads and hearts than we think. We grow up and sometimes mistakenly adults think kids have nothing to say or their questions are useless. There are a lot of questions. One question that stood out was, why did you decide to become a priest? Oh, <laughs> you got all day. So I said, well, I, I, I told the story that when I was their age, about seventh grade, I had gone Christmas shopping with my mother. It was the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Catholic school, we had no classes. So I went shopping with her, and in the course of shopping, she said, do you want a souvenir for the day? N not a Christmas gift, you know, something for the day. And I said, yeah. I said, I want this album. It was music by the Harry Simeon Chorale. Very unusual arrangements throughout the whole album. Now, I put that record on, and I had to explain what records are to the kids. <laughs> How do you say it's bigger than a disc? And, and then you got to put an arm on it with a needle. Now that makes no sense, right? To, to you and me, it makes sense. But the younger kids among you, when you go home, you can explain to them what that is all about. And it was Christmas time. Our Christmas tree was up. And I always had the tradition from my family to set up under the tree, the Presepio. The, we all have a nativity set under our tree, but mine was always a little more ornate. And I got my influence from my uncle, whose Presepio was very ornate, and he got his influence from Italy, the Neo Neapolitan culture. So I was playing with them, literally playing, moving them around, you know, sheep and cows and Jesus and Mary and all that good stuff, playing around. And, you know, simple, no big uh, revelation there. But something on that album, and I don't have the album, so all I, all I know is the impression it made on me, and I guess it's easy to find. There was an announcement to Mary. It was the announcement of Gabriel to Mary. Hail Mary. And something went on in me, that I couldn't quite grasp while I was hearing that. I was hit with something. I was, something happened, and I couldn't tell you more than that. It was very unusual. So I told this young lady who said, well, how did you decide to become a priest? That story. And I went to the rest of grammar school, high school, and college, and graduate school, and all that good stuff. But that impression that stayed with me from the seventh grade continued with me. Now, I am not a holy roller. I mean, God bless those who are. 
um, I was always in trouble doing something. I mean, in high school, <laughs> I, I don't, you have time, you're not going anywhere. You want to hear the story? Uh, I was in so much trouble in high school that the prince, see, I came from an Italian high school, uh, Italian grammar school. Now, Italian nuns love Italian boys. I guess they love Italian girls too, but they favored the boys and, and they always gave us a little leeway and uh, on the weekends we'd volunteer, the guys would volunteer and do work around the school and Sister Carmela, God bless her and get, rest her soul, she would bring us into the convent after we did our cleaning, whatever we were doing, and she would make me hot chocolate with Anazette. You've never had hot chocolate with Anazette. Go treat yourself. So, so that, that was a very, they were very warm. They were Filipini sisters, not Filipino, Filipini sisters. My Esther to be Filipini. And we had a, a warm connection with them. So when I went to high school, those of you who are, sorry, I, I was doomed by being surrounded by Irish nuns. They were wacko. I mean, I mean, God bless them all. I mean, you know, I'm sure God called them as he called me. And, what, and they, they had a thing for me, you know, because like, I was always standing out. I was always in trouble. One time, Sister Marita said to me, Skirty, sit on your hands and describe a circular staircase. They weren't used to Italians. So I sat on my hands. And I said, well, circular staircase is one that starts here and goes down like this. They did not like me. But Sister Marita, my homeroom teacher, loved the fact that we were college bound and whatever college you were going to go to, once you got an acceptance letter, you, you, she put the name on the board and, you know, Louis Skirty going to this college. So more than once, like I said, I was in trouble. But when you got trouble with the principal, she was a little terror. So I was in her office one day, and again, it was not the first time. And she says, Scurdy, what are you going to be when you get out of school? So that, this is funny. Sorry, Jesus. He knew, he knew what was in my heart then. And I said, just to spite her, you know, I said, I'm going to be a priest. Oh, my goodness. Her response was, they'd have to be scraping the bottom of the barrel to accept you. <laughs> okay. She knew more than I did. I was only a high school kid. A few days later, I received a letter from Seton Hall University Divinity School, which meant I was accepted to the seminary. So I brought that into Sister Rosemarita. She wrote that on the board. She was as happy as a pig in, in a poke. And she says, go show the principal, go show sister, uh, whatever her name was. I said, no, I don't think she's going to be so happy about it. <laughs> she says, no, go, go show him. Mm, okay, if I have to. And sheepishly, I walked down. Now, her, her office had a big glass wall, so she saw me coming. So her horns went up right away. <laughs> so I knock on the glass wall, and her response was, just sweet, just like the Italian nuns. Skirty, what do you want? So I said, um, they're scraping bottom. I said, I've accepted this as a seminary. She went berserk. And then I left, literally running down the hall. And through the school, I hear, Skirty, return to the principal's office. Skirty, return to... So I didn't return. And I told Marita what happened. She was very happy. Now, 
when you ask a kid, when a kid asks you, why did you become a priest? And I have that as part of my repertoire, the, that kind of interaction with the church and interaction with people. It, it doesn't fit. And I said, but God decided to call me. And I went to one seminary and left that seminary, went to another seminary. And I loved what I was doing right along. And the, the final straw that, that broke the camel's back, you might say, that really made me know that I was in the right place at the right time was when I was teaching religious education to high school in, in Camden, South Jersey. And after school, I was, I was teaching normal stuff. I was teaching French and other things. But it was an all-girls school. And after class, so often, girls would come, and I was one of three guys, three men in the school. They would come and hang out in my classroom and talk, or ask questions. And it wasn't like superficial stuff. It was you know, girl stuff, but heart stuff, love stuff, dating stuff, and family stuff. And, and I realized, as they were asking me, and I'm just another teacher, uh, these things, they, they see something in my, I teach French, they see something in how I teach or something else that is connecting them to me and me to them. At the end of that year, I entered the seminary, the final seminary I was going to go to, St. Mary's, and from there I was ordained uh, on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. It was perfect. It was, it was when the bishop called me in and said, what, do you, what day do you want to be ordained? Because I extended my diaconate. So I was working in a parish, in a diocese. And I said, how is December 8th? He says, Immaculate Conception. Okay, 1015. And that's sort of what, he was very, right down the line. And I got ordained 50 years ago on December 8th. And it was wonderful. It was a great day. But it was the conclusion I thought, but it was really the beginning, of that experience I had as a seventh grader. I'm saying that today because we're talking about Samuel. Samuel was given to the temple by his mother. Long story short, Hannah could not have children. She said to God, if you give me a child, I will dedicate him to you. She gave, he, God gave her Samuel, a son, and she dedicated him to God by having him work with Eli in the temple. So that's, that's the kid. So the kid's around seventh grade. Whenever I read this, I realize I'm, I'm not scriptural material, but how God acts. He called this troublemaker from Jersey City, Italo, Italian, American, to be a priest, to... to do something that is, looks simple on the altar, but is not at all. To, to take bread and wine and give it back to the Father, and he returns it to us as the body and blood of his Son. N not a simple thing at all. A miracle. So when I read about little Samuel in the temple, I realize this applies to all of us. So his job was to serve Samuel in the temple, uh, Eli in the temple, and he's doing about his business. It's nighttime, he goes to sleep. They have, probably have a little room off to the side. And it's a metaphor and a play on words. When you sleep in church, as they were sleeping in the temple, you know what happens, you miss things. 
In the scriptures, when someone is sleeping, things happen. And it's the way the scriptures authors give us the message. If you're sleeping in the presence of God, you're just going to miss it. You miss his word, you miss who he is, you miss what you're there for. It's a metaphor, but it's, it's a good metaphor. Is it, is it theology solid? No, no, it's a metaphor. So when Samuel is sleeping in the temple, as he would be normally, he hears a voice calling his name. So he thinks it's his boss. So he gets up and goes to Eli and says, Eli, you called me? Uh, Eli says, no, no, go back to sleep. Middle of the night, go back to sleep. He goes back to sleep, and as you heard, very, read very well, this happens three times. Finally, Samuel says, uh, uh, Eli says to Samuel, listen, it ain't me calling, it's God calling. If you hear it again, just respond, and that beautiful entrance song said it all. Just say, here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. So the kid, again, go back to this seventh grader, wise guy, and I'm sure he was a seventh grader in his own synagogue school. Goes to sleep. Samuel. Samuel. He hears it again. Eli told him what to say. Here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. And Samuel responds that way. Here I am, Lord. I come to do your will. One of the other questions one of the kids this week asked in the religious ed program, why don't we have today revelations like the people in the Bible had revelations when they, they, they got a message from God directly, like Moses or some of the prophets or, or Jesus and I thought about that. It's a great, insightful question. And my answer was, we do. Think of how God spoke to his people. And I'm going to put spoke in quotes. How he spoke to his people who didn't necessarily hear it in their ears, but they got the message through their prayer, through their insight, through their conscience, they heard God left and right in the scriptures. And the authors of the Gospels as well as the Old Testament couldn't write that down fast enough that God spoke to them and this was what they got up and did. Well, he didn't say, hey, Louis. No. He spoke into our hearts. As seventh graders, as kids, as adults. God speaks to us now, today, as he spoke to the apostles in the Old Testament, prophets, as Jesus was spoke, spoken to by the Father. I don't care what you call it. It might be conscience. It might be spirit. It might be personal connection. But God does speak to every one of us today. When we have a thought, or an action, or a request. And we respond wholeheartedly, and we respond with faith, and we respond with goodness. 
We're responding to the Spirit of God speaking to us, not by a record, 78 by the way, the big ones, speaking to us in our hearts. See, Paul made it very clear. Don't forget, you are temples of the Holy Spirit. So when you come to, when we come to church, the Holy Spirit is here with us, and we pre present the gifts of bread and wine to the Father, and we say, bless them and let them become your son's body and blood. The Holy Spirit is with us. And as we sit in my seat, your seats, music seats, everywhere, service seats, the Spirit of God is with every one of us because we are all temples of the Holy Spirit. Forget brick and mortar. Every one of us is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Everyone has direct contact with the Spirit of God speaking through us and to us. As we do good, the Spirit is working through us. And, and don't forget, sometimes the temple gets dirty. Sometimes the temple gets messy. And that's Satan's in. Yes. Let me go to this person because he or she is weak. That's Paul saying all that in his letter today. Let me go to that person who is weak, who has all the abilities of the rest of the community, but this one's weak. Let me get in there. And when we follow the voice of Satan, you got sin, whatever it is in reference to. He speaks about the body, immorality, but whatever it is. Prejudice, sin. Hate, sin. Greed, sin. Response to God in prayer? Prayer. Doing good? Prayer. Leading the kids in the religious ed program? Prayer. Serving Mass? Prayer. Coming to church with the family? Prayer. And every prayer is our response to God. And when He, he hits our in, intelligence and our conscience and we're on the place, the border, to, to do something, whatever it is, marry somebody, go to a particular school, join a particular parish ministry. When, when you had that little idea, maybe, maybe they need another usher. Ah, they have enough ushers. No, no, no. If they need another usher and you have that idea inside of you, that didn't come from nowhere. That came from the Holy Spirit. I know here in the parish you have a great stewardship program. When you get the idea in your head, I don't care how old you are, little kids or, look, they're kids, they're high school kids, and there's a baby singing with the music ministry. She's a potential. Tap that one because she's a potential. That's the Holy Spirit. But, but we're people, we're human beings, as Jesus was. Don't miss that. The Holy Spirit spoke to him, yes, but he could have said, no, God, thank you, I'm not going to do it. He went with it because he trusted God to do what was right. And God gave him the power to walk on water, to multiply bread, just to show you and me that when you speak to God, action follows. And Jesus spoke to God and action followed. But the world always tried to pull him away. Hence the cross. But the resurrection, God's last word in Jesus, raising his son from the dead.
to show you and me every one of us has a message from God as Jesus did. Every one of us is spoken to by God and we hear God in our hearts. Prayer, conscience, reflection, meditation. The words are arbitrary, but they all say the same thing. Our inner lives. When that kid was sleeping in the temple, he didn't hear Samuel, Samuel. No, he didn't hear that. He heard inside. When he woke up, finally, he had the tools that his teacher taught him how to use. Just say, here I am, Lord. I come to do your will. We might say, here I am, Lord. Help me to do your will. Here I am, Lord. Give me the grace to do your will. Nevertheless, God is speaking to every one of us. He spoke to little Samuel in the church, in the temple. He speaks to every one of you. Every day. Open your ears. Let us open our ears, our hearts, and our prayer life to God. So we can really say, Okay, Lord, here I am. Help me to do your will.